And I think we, we basically turned off the advertising before, like many months before launching because we were getting too many people signing up. A lot of us give us a very, very senior role and a very good career projection in our previous job to start something from scratch. Our customers basically link their bank accounts to our system and we can download their bank account transaction history. And what that allows us to do is kind of x-ray their finances and build a real picture of, of them as a person. I have two guests on the show today, Michelle He and Gerald Chappelle, who are the co-founders of fintech startup Finturn. Finturn is on a mission to fix the consumer lending problem. On the show today, we talk about launching at the right time, securing a license, funding and scaling. I'm your host, Mark McDonough, and this is the UKTM podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncapped solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. I thought it'd be interesting to have a conversation with you guys um around uh Finturn and how you started because you're a company that's what like two years old now at this stage and you started right at the beginning of, of pretty much lockdown and I'd, I'd love to get an understanding of what it was like for both of you because you know this is I'm taking this is your first your first company your first startup um correct me if I'm wrong but you probably you know, packed everything else in, started this day one, nearly ready for, for lockdown. I mean, we, we when we um, when we were getting going uh, at the time before kind of formally starting the whole thing, I was actually working a lot of a lot of the time in, in China, Hong Kong and, and, and Singapore. So we're spending a lot of time in, in the in the kind of region where the pandemic kind of kicked off. And Michelle's actually from Wuhan in in in, in China, <laughs> <laughs> so to some extent we we, we kind of had a little bit of advanced knowledge of what might happen with the uh, I mean not claiming prescience or anything, but but we kind of saw the lockdowns you know happening before they hit uh, before they hit Europe. For me, um, the lockdown was actually one of the things that sort of or like the, the the kind of the starting of the pandemic was one of the things that sort of convinced me that now was exactly the right time to do what we wanted to do. So. We wanted to found a company where the uh, the kind of mission was to expand access to affordable credit. And actually, going into a, a pandemic where people were getting locked down, they, you know, people were put on furlough or losing their jobs. Lenders were no longer, or lenders were kind of reining in access to, uh, to, to 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 credit. It seemed to us that that's, that was actually the perfect time to start something that's looking to help specifically people where. Uh, you know, they're not getting the, the kind of credit offers that they should be getting if, if you look at their, their kind of affordability and financial situation. So in a way, it was sort of, um, you know, part of the thing that sort of pushed us forward to say, yes, this is this is the right kind of time to, to, to launch this uh, launch this business. So it gave us a little bit of confidence. On the flip side, it, it was kind of weird as well. So you, you're kind of, you know, talking to investors about raising money. You're not actually meeting anybody. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're doing everything by Zoom calls. We, we, we set our first kind of senior funding uh, debt funding line. So 
because we issue loans, we have to raise money for those loans. And a lot of that comes from from debt capital. We we raised a a 29 million line uh, with with Varengold Bank, a German bank. We didn't meet anybody until after we'd signed the, uh, signed the deal. Oh, you, Michelle did, yeah. I did because I had to. We have to uh, do the like the um, the founder's ID check, and I was holding a Singaporean passport, so I had to meet the the head of UK to show her my passport. Otherwise, we could have done the whole deal without meeting anyone in person. Um, but I think at that time, people are sort of already used to that kind of doing everything online. Like most successful startups they they start out of um a place of frustration the founders you know obviously went through something or spotted a gap in the market from their own experience i believe you michelle you kind of came across the frustration bit where you weren't able to get a loan or you weren't able to open up a bank account when you first moved to the uk or yeah what, yeah. what way was it for you it was uh, so a bit of my background. Originally, I'm from China. I um, I got my PhD in Singapore, and then I came from Singapore to the UK about twelve years ago. When the point when I came to the UK, I got um, a, a very well paid job, very good career projection, but I had a zero credit history in the country. So it was almost impossible for me to borrow money from uh, from any traditional lenders. It was even difficult for me to open a bank account because I didn't have a UK address. So that was 12 years ago because the whole lending system in the UK, like in many, many countries, is credit score driven, credit history driven. And over the last two years, um, Gerald and I and a couple of other people in the team, we worked in the world of um, credit analytics, digital lending. We found, and we actually helped a lot of uh, banks to build that kind of a traditional credit uh, credit score bench, uh, based analytics uh, capability. But we don't think that it should be the way forward. There are a lot of fundamental limitations with the credit score driven system, with the Birth of open banking is just we, we found this is, is a game changer for the for, you know to many many spaces like a payment but we think it you know it, it will be a fundamental change to the um, to the lending system so if if fintech was there twelve months uh, twelve years ago when I first came to the UK I could have got a loan but. <laughs> But we didn't have someone like Fintan 12 years ago. And even now, there are very limited um, lenders here who is doing the open banking-based lending. Yeah, well, I went through similar frustrations when I moved to the UK in 2017, you know, with a number of things, you know, getting getting a place to live, opening up a bank account, trying to get even a phone, you know, it could cause problems. I, al- I always find it interesting with, with companies like yours when they start up, because obviously you're lending money. And when you're lending money, you need money to lend. You, you launched in, 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 I think it was February 2020, and you, you raised the, the, the equity and debt funding in, if I'm right, April of 2021. Were you lending money before you had raised money or did you have to wait till you raised that money before you were able to do anything? The, the, the starting trouble is not actually getting the money. Uh, it's getting regulation. Um, so you can't lend a, a penny of money, no matter how much you have, until you're authorized by the, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK as a, um, as a consumer credit provider. So actually, the starting point for us was getting together the, the team, the platform, the proposition that would enable us to uh, to kind of show that this was something that would be additive to the market, and you know, uh, get the regulators on side uh, that this uh, that we we would be a good and responsible lender. So that was really you know where we we spent a lot of the the initial time. Uh, but then you're right, uh, you know, once you once you've got that hurdle in place, you you need to you need to lend. 
Um, for these kind of businesses, you often uh, start lending uh, directly out of equity to prove that your underwriting model really works. Uh, and then, you know, once you can show that, you bring on debt capital. In our case, I think there were a lot of people who were quite excited about what we were trying to do. So taking a very different approach to credit scoring, we believe that we'd be able to serve a segment of the market that's very underserved um, and still get a kind of prime credit performance from that because we just understood those customers so much better than the kind of legacy approaches of uh, like behavioral, behavioral credit scoring. So there was a lot of excitement in the model. The team had a lot of credibility as well. Uh, and so, you know, my, my background, I used to be a partner at McKinsey. At McKinsey, uh, I, you know, I led a lot of their work on digital credit and also credit analytics. Michelle has a long background in credit and credit analytics as well. So do many of the other of the, the kind of founding team. Um, and so I think a combination of that, that credibility, the speed through the regulatory process, the interest in the, um, the, uh, the, the, the kind of approach we were taking meant that we were able to get uh, debt funding, senior debt funding relatively early uh, in the piece. So we could lend using that to uh, using debt, debt rather than equity, which is quite important because if you want to scale the business, it, it's, it's, very, it's a very, very expensive way to do it using equity rather than, rather than debt. As, I have as well. to say, I have to say, it's, it was uh, it was it it ended up very well for us, but it was very challenging in the beginning because there are not many lenders who will lend to us with, lend to a company without any lending track record. They have very limited choice in the market, so we did spend quite a bit of time to look for the choices. But out of that, probably you know, a couple of choices we have. We actually got multiple term sheets. The team, the, the lenders are very impressed by the team, the business model, and the um, you know the mission behind it. So they are very very supportive. We decided to go with Baron Gold because they are very entrepreneurial, very you know very open to innovation. And so far, we are working very very well with them. Was was you turned down, or were you turned down? I should say by by many others. Um, doors that like we we all go through it, you know. We've heard so many stories. The amount of investors you need to speak to before you actually bring someone on board, um, and and again, like being such a fresh company in lockdown, what was it difficult? Yeah, we we were turned down by a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, particularly like on the both on the equity and on 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 the debt side, but on the on the debt side in particular. You know, we we talking to a lot of the established funders who are very big in the market for for kind of um, non bank finance uh, non bank lenders. Um, most of them were, were just they were very interested in what we were trying to do, but they said, look, we just can't provide capital to you at this stage until you've got sort of two three years track record of, of lending. We can see the performance of the book. You're 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 using something that's a totally new technology. We want to see how that works. So. I wouldn't say we were rejected because people thought what we were doing was crazy, but more they were saying, well, you're just too early stage for us. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that wrote off, you know, most of the, the kind of, you know, high street banks and, and you know, investment banks and so on, who, who are very big providers of debt capital to the, uh, to the kind of lending industry. Um, and that meant we were working with the sort of nimbler and more agile kind of uh, players who, are in, who were willing to back early, early stage businesses. How are you guys different? We we have we are we are different in many different ways. One is that the um, uh, that's based on what we have heard from the the investors. One is that the team is um, is very not only very experienced in this area, but have a very deep understanding of how the old world works and fundamentally believe this what the new world should be, and then very very committed to um to to make it happen. A lot of us give up a very very. 
senior role and a very good career projection in our previous job to start something from scratch. So that is, um, I guess that is quite a different from someone who fresh out from university, you know, just just to pursue a dream. We have thought about this for many, many years. We are deeply frustrated with what is currently be doing. And we fundamentally believe this, you know, what we are doing is, is, is going to be very, very different and it's going to be a game changer. And the team is super committed to it. And how is the, is the company different when it comes to lending compared to your traditional lenders? If, if you take a, a traditional lender, so a bank or a non-bank lender, they primarily do consumer lending decisions based on uh, credit scores. So, uh, you know, in the UK, that could be an Experian or an Equifax credit score uh, or TransUnion. In the US, it could be like a FICO score people are very familiar with. And it's basically just a number that's an aggregation of all of your the historic payments that, that, that you've made and credit lines that you've had. From the, that kind of repayment behavior, they say, okay, this person is uh, you know, likely to repay or this person is not likely to repay. And there's a lot of people for whom that score really doesn't perform very well and is definitely not a fair reflection of their, of their credit ability. So if you're uh, what the industry would call a thin file customer, so if, if you've moved to the UK recently, like Michelle talked about before, or you've had a disrupted credit history because you've been moving around, or you've had a damaged credit history because you've, you've missed payments in the past or so on, that will kind of really impact that, uh, that score. But what that credit score is not doing at all is looking at what do your current financial circumstances look like? How much do you earn? How do you, you know, what, what do you, what do you spend that on, on? What's left over at the end of the day? And that is the real thing that determines someone's ability to, to, to repay. So the approach that we take is to say, well, we're going to bypass traditional credit scoring and we're going to instead focus on our customer's real financial situation. And there's lots of ways that we do that. We, we use a lot of different data to help kind of get that sort of fair picture of a, of a customer. But one of the big ones is bank transaction data. So our customers basically link their bank accounts to our system and we can download their bank account transaction history. We, we, we can't instruct payments or anything like that. So don't worry about that. We, it's just information. And what that allows us to do is kind of extra their finances and build a real picture of, of them as a person so we can we can make kind of fair and low cost interest rate offers even where their credit score might not be a super a super prime score and so the value proposition for customers is actually quite easy to understand it's by sharing a little bit of extra data with us we can give you a vastly superior financial product with lower cost of financing and a better a better chance of approval I, I know you you launched obviously during during lockdown as we mentioned at the beginning and the data you're collecting now on on your customers as in like what they're applying for loans for is probably different pre-lockdown what are you finding tends to be the average loan amount because i know you you guys lend out anything from 500 to 5000 um is there any trends that you you've seen uh, coming up and the reason I ask is there's some pretty scary uh, stats out there on on finances in the UK and what people generally um, have in their bank accounts like uh, it's very poor the amount of money that people have saved uh, for a rainy day as they call it so have you noticed any trends that are happening now during the pandemic a quick sponsor reminder if you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity uncap solve this problem to find out more, go to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Um, so first of all, our loan size currently is between 1,000 to 7,500. Um, and we, we, we plan to increase uh, the upper bound to 10,000 in the, in the near future. The... 
because we can see so much information from from the customers. So the like, for example, if you look at the statistics, currently almost I think more than half, about fifty five percent of the customers came to us for debt consolidation. So you asked us what why we are different. Gerald spent quite a lot of time explaining we are able to serve the underserved customers, but that's only one of the things we are deficient. We are different from others. In addition to that, we are able to offer a very affordable cost. So a uh, focus to the customers. So just give you a benchmark. If customers want to borrow a thousand loan from a lender, we offer eighteen point eight percent APR, which is lower than any UK, like big UK banks. If you go to a um, Lloyd's Banking Group to borrow one thousand pounds as a prime customer, the interest rate um, is about twenty seven, twenty six percent. So we are different. One is that we give access to people who want to be able to get access elsewhere because we have more information. We look at the whole picture, and secondly, we. We don't give them, they don't take the opportunity to say, I want to charge you 70% of the interest because this is the only option you have. We charge you actually a very low interest rate. And the reason why we are confident to do that is because we are very confident with our credit analytics and, and, and the data, the model we currently have. So from, from the, the very rich information we get, um, we can see currently a lot of the customers, because of the options, the, the they don't have a lot of choice, don't have options. Actually, that kind of credit-worthy customers in our definition are borrowing from very high-cost short-term uh, uh, borrowers. And they came to us to consolidate their loans, basically use us to refinance the high-cost short-term, uh, short-term loans. So we see we see that quite a lot. And, um, and also we can see the proof because we can see their open banking data after they actually borrowed money from us. We, if we look backwards, we can see most of them actually use the money to repay the uh, repay the other high cost lenders, and you will not be able to see this if you don't have open banking data. Yeah, I think one of the the trends, if you're interested in sort of um, what have we seen kind of changing over the over the course of the of the pandemic, um, we can it's kind of difficult to tell, but you can sort of see an increase in average indebtedness, um, but not necessarily what comes through on the credit file. But when you when you look at the open banking data and and you take buy now pay later and and, and other kind of things into account, so there's definitely been a kind of surging use of of, of buy now pay later. Which in a little way, in many ways, can be a little bit pernicious because it doesn't show up as kind of core debt for a customer, uh, but it is debt that's accumulating in payments that they have to service. And so, what that causes is that uh, they're kind of, you know, a, a general reduction in in their affordability. And so, I think it'll be very interesting to see how that continues to develop because I think, particularly in the sort of sub thirty five year old population, the use of buy now pay later just seems to be accelerating quite quite uh, quite, yeah. quite quite significantly. Um, I think the, another sort of interesting thing that you saw, we, we saw quite a lot, was the the trend in uh, crypto buying, uh, which you would think would be relatively, um, you know, my initial kind of thinking on this would be a, be a kind of relatively small proportion of the population, but we actually see quite a number of cases where there's very small scale crypto buying. Um, and are, are they things- borrow? Are they borrowing to invest in crypto? That was one of the things that we were quite worried about because um, there, there were many cases where that was clearly the case. They'd borrowed money from other lenders. We could see large purchases of, uh, well, we don't know exactly what they're buying, but we can see large transfers to um, to crypto exchanges. And then they're borrowing money from us. And we we're kind of worried, okay, it's probably not the best financial move to, to borrow money to then put on a highly volatile asset. Uh, and so, so that's come down a bit, obviously, as the, the market, I guess, has become a little bit less frothy. But sort of from... I would say like, you know, March to to, to uh, September last year, we saw a lot of activity in, in, in that kind of space as well. 
Interesting you say that, actually. Um, I'm, I'm curious as, as to, to how you guys brought on your first customers you know um what way you marketed the business like i'm curious just to find out what what worked and what didn't work so how, how did you start because like, I, I know like the money you raised i'm sure you put a certain amount of that aside for the running and marketing of, of the business how much would you put aside and how much do you do you put into marketing Actually, on that note, our very first customer is Gerald. <laughs> so <laughs> it's an easy one uh, yeah. because he uh, he's our first live customer, just to test the end-to-end -end system. So all of us are sitting on the call and then just, you know, on Zoom, just to see how the money, how the, how the, how the application came, seeing how the money went out. So that's an easy one. I hope the, it wasn't to buy crypto. <laughs> Yeah, oh, he he borrowed five hundred pounds. Our, our compliance like... officer wouldn't let me borrow any more than the the minimum loan size that we uh, that we do. Um, it has though been topped up quite a few times because um, uh, basically every uh, production release that we do, my account is used for testing. So you know that they, they make prepayments on it. They I get put into arrears a lot as well. I have a, quite a lot of late payment charges on my account. So so, so it's um I, I'm basically the guinea pig for 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 everything as the sort of final test before. Before it uh, before it goes live, mm. um, and the the second customer is probably more representative, and that's exactly the type of customers we want to serve. It's uh, a data scientist engineer working in uh, not in England but in uh, in in, uh, in a different part of UK. He actually has very uh, you know high income. You can see from their uh, his transaction data, he has recently get a, a bonus, a high uh, like a pay rise. Again, you want to be able to see any of this information from the bureau. You can only see it from open banking, and you can see he has an excellent debt consolidation track record. He moved from very high cost short term lenders to the mid price, and now moving to us. Um, but this is someone who had a damaged credit history because he had missed the payment on on one of his mortgages and 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 you know because of his credit score and credit history he was not able to get uh, affordable loans elsewhere but it's a perfect customer for us because if you look at his affordability his earning capability and his track record of you know consolidating the debt he's actually a very good customer for us and he's repaying very very well you know despite a very low credit score I remember that one. The credit bureau gave him a 50% 5-0, a coin toss probability of default. So they're basically saying, you know, it's it's you know, it's heads or tails whether this guy will default within 12 months, which we knew is clearly nonsense from all the data and analytics. Um, I think Michelle, though, I wasn't really the first customer. So before we launched, we actually um, uh, we actually acquired about uh, 20,000 customers who pre who signed up with us pre-launch, uh, and they were super helpful uh, in terms of. We, uh, we we kind of did weekly uh, Finton Q and A's with with customers. We had like uh, panels of people we got together. We did we, uh, we our kind of MVP designs, so screen designs and so on. We would test with uh, with, with with customers. Um, some of those customers also then tested our platform and, and shared some data with us, so we could make sure everything would run before we went live and so on. So in terms of kind of getting that initial pool of uh, kind of testing customers, I think we spent. Five thousand pounds, you know, not very much money at all on Facebook digital marketing, uh, and basically just uh, ran ads and so on, and said you know, we're building this thing. If you're interested, come come sign up. And so we got a lot of people signing up via via that channel. And I think we we basically turned off the advertising before, like many months before launching, because we were getting too many people signing up, uh, and the, the, their question basically was, "Why haven't you guys launched yet?" Um, so, yeah. so, so you know, we had to kind of throttle that a little bit when we uh, when we were going going live. 
so so what's working for you now because like that that's what you were doing at the beginning um what's working for you now and the, the reason i ask i'm just, just more out of curiosity and i know a lot of the listeners um will have business and they're curious as to what's worked for you um and where where you're putting money and what's bringing in the business so what's actually working so right now we still we have about 50% of our customers come through us direct uh, and that's sort of from word of mouth but also from uh, you know social media advertising and so on so we've principally doing been doing Facebook and Google for that and then the other 50 comes through what we would call partner channels so we have partnerships with uh, I think it's 30 or 31 now uh, uh, other companies who um, uh, who introduce customers to us uh, who are interested in in borrowing and those range from your kind of price comparison type sites uh, so, uh, you know, something like confused.com or something like that. Uh, they include your kind of uh, credit, uh, credit building, credit analysis type sites. So people like Credit Karma or ClearScore. Uh, and then, you know, open banking apps, for example. So like Emma uh, uh, is, a, is, is uh, uh, also is a, is a partner. And so we have, you know, a kind of diverse network of, of, of these kind of partners. And so it's at the moment 50-50-50 coming through those those channels. Um, I know you had also mentioned in in, a, in another article that money raised was also to expand the team, and you know, like most companies that started in in a pandemic or in lockdown, you you never get to meet anyone face to face, especially if you're hiring outside the the city you're living in. How how did you grow the team? How did you manage that through? as I said, the early lockdown stages, were they, you're both based in London, I take it. Yeah, um, we, we are based in London. In the beginning, quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of like the team members are based on our own network, like ex-colleagues or friends, the people we know. Um, in the last few months, as we started hiring people uh, we don't know. So it's, um, it's, it's that a kind of like a standard uh, hiring process. We currently have 21 people in the team. Uh, our plan is basically to double that uh, this year. Um, a lot of it is uh, customer support, underwriting people. We need quite a few um, engineers and data scientists, and also we um, and also we um, we are kicking off a B two B service um, in this year. So we plan to hire a couple more people in in the B two B space. We currently have the lead of uh, the head of B two B onboarded uh, last month. I'm taking it data scientists don't come cheap. It's not about the price. It's about availability. I found it's very challenging to hire technical roles here in London, not only the data scientists, but also the um, uh, the software developers. So if anyone who is listening, who is interested, <laughs> send us an email. Uh, that is uh, that is on high demand. And we have a very, we, we are a very fun team to work together with. Um, this is this is probably the best team I have ever worked together with in, 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 the, in, in my entire career, mainly because I got a choice to choose who to join the team, probably. <laughs> if you're if you're so used to to working remotely are you are you strict on on trying to hire people within london or are you open to to further afield it doesn't have to be in london uh, it but it's like you know for example some of our credit uh, like uh, operations people live outside london and they come to office like one day a week two days a week and we have a daily calls on different types of topic so i think the remote working for us has been working very well very well so far, um, and I think even the lockdown eases. We'd like to keep this kind of like hybrid model. It doesn't have to be five days a week in the office, so like half half or two or three. That's fine. 
And Michelle, is it worth mentioning as well, like seven of our team are actually based full time in Shenzhen and China? That's right. Yeah. So, um, so our entire en- the current is engineer team we have um, is in the in in China. We got only one, maybe one and a half people in London who is doing the um, engineer role. We we'd like to expand the engineer capability here in London, but it's a lot easier for us to hire people in China because the talent pool is so big and they are so experienced with the technologies, the um, you know the the the, the internet space. And very, very, very good work ethics as well. One other thing that you had mentioned in, in an article was that the the initial funding was to to prove that the the model works. Um, how have you been feeding back proof that the model works as such? Is like, do they want you to have a certain amount of, of loans on your books, certain amount of customers, certain amount of impact? What what was it that they the, the feedback they were looking for there. So the, I guess the key proof point there is our argument was using uh, all of this extra data and the analytic kind of experience that we brought, we would be able to reduce credit losses by 50% relative to the to the market if you took like-for-like like credit risk. Um, and so the way we've we've proven that is for every customer that we uh, that we write a loan to. Um, we know what their their kind of credit bureau credit score is. And we know based on that credit score, uh, how that loan should develop or how similar loans like that should develop in terms of risk of loss. So emergence of early arrears going going into default. And so we basically track every monthly cohort of our of our book showing, okay, this, you know, in this month we did X number of loans. We would have expected based on the credit scores that these loans had that after, you know, three months, six months, nine months, this 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 proportion of them would be in arrears. Uh, and then this is what's actually in arrears. And so the reality so far on that kind of cohort tracking is we're running at a 75% reduction in uh, uh, arrears levels versus what we should have expected if we had the market level of credit risk. And so what that basically proves to our investors is we, our methodology really is out outperforming. Um, and so then the, the, there's another question that then comes into that it says, okay, it works when you're running it at the you know at small scale. Does it work when you run it at big scale as well? And so that's what we've also been proving. So we've been showing that we're able to do this and rapidly increase the the, the amount of origination or new loans that we're creating uh, every every single month. And really, if you look at the period, I guess last year when we started lending in March up into closing the Series A funding in December, for me that was about proof of concept. We we're really proving that this credit technology really does work. We're able to create a superior product, offer that to customers, and get much better returns because of the the engine that we put together. Um, and now, you know, now we're in the stage of saying, okay, it's proven. Now we've got to scale, scale it up. Is this a repeat business as in like with customers, are, are a lot of your customers repeat customers or do you find that they, they come in, they've, they've got the loan, they need it, they pay it off over time and then they're gone. Well, the, the, the maximum duration of the loans is three years. Uh, so for many of our customers, you know, they'll be with us for quite a, quite a period of, uh, of, of time. Um, we have seen customers who've uh, paid down, back the loans quickly and then come back and ask for, for additional loans. So I think the, the, there's definitely uh, evidence that they like the experience and, and, and like, uh, like working with us. I think in, in lending industry, though, one of the things I think you need to be careful of is getting into a situation where customers are dependent on you. So for us, actually, we would like it if customers were didn't want to borrow from us in the future because actually that they they kind of paid down their debt uh, and you know and they're in a, in a strong financial situation so that's one of our objectives as well it's really to help improve customers financial health not just offer them you know the the loan that they need as of today mm. 
And I know you, you've just recently actually closed 8 million in funding. That's your, your Series A. What, what are your plans with, with the 8 million? Because you're obviously looking to scale and grow. Um, how, how are you going to scale and grow? So there are two parts which we are scale and grow. Um, first is the B2C business. It's direct lending to the customers. So we are growing our loan book um, and the, the growth rate has been fantastic. So far, 50% uh, month on month. We want to grow to um, uh, a much bigger uh, loan book in the next 18 months. And another part, which I mentioned earlier, is the B2B service. So we had our head of B2B starting last month. Our plan is basically in the next in the next 18 months to identify five to seven institutional customers, basically um, outsource our te- uh, credit technology too. So it's uh, the SaaS type of business because our credit technology has been proven in our using our own money. It works so well and currently... Qu- I think currently we already have about five to seven banks in Europe, including some in the UK, reached us to say, I want to buy your technology, but we didn't have any people and any bandwidth to deal with it last year. And um, and from you know using serious A money, we would like to build the B two P team and serve the um, serve five to you know five to seven customers in the next two years. I always ask this question um, on the podcast before I finish it. And I know there, there's two of you on this one, but I, I'd love to know what books you read, right? But mo- most importantly, what book, and, and both of you can answer this one, what book has had the biggest impact on on Finturn as a business? I, I would take the first one because it's easier. <laughs> the the book, I, I'm, I, I started reading a few, few books. One of my favorite books is uh, Banking on It by Anne Bowden. Um, the the founder of Stalin Bank. Yeah, I've read uh, it. Yeah. Are, yeah, a lot of good things about that book. I started to know uh, Stalin and the Stalin journey a lot better by, by reading their book. There are a lot of things which is very interesting, but I think which the things which uh, strike me the most is that every startup is very, very challenging. Um, we have a lot of different types of challenges. We probably have more challenges than good news to share with people, but it's it's absolutely natural. You, you need to really love the journey in order to continue. And that's what I learned from that book. Tough one. I'm going to go more abstract than Michelle, I think. I, I'm going to go for The Odyssey by Homer. Um, so I, I reread that last year. Um, and to me, it kind of really spoke to me about the, the kind of the startup journey. So uh, you know, Odysseus is on this long, you know, multi-year voyage voyage home. The gods are throwing trouble at him. You know, he's uh, he, he, you know, he, he, he's kind of having to to tough it out and and persevere. And in many ways, that's sort of what it's been like, kind of going through from the concept of we got a few pictures on a, on on, a, on on some slides about what we want to do to getting something in practice, to getting regulated uh, regulatory approval for it, to getting funding, to getting customers, to trying to make it work as we scale the team. And so, yeah, that, that, that sort of spoke to me. I'm not sure you can get that many direct business insights from it, but uh, in terms of the emotional uh, emotional side of things, it, it works well. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor, Uncapped, offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales. No dilution or loss of control. Apply online. Decision within 24 hours. Make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.